Hi there and welcome to another podcast from A Passion for Life. My name is Craig Dyer and today we have another double header. It is my pleasure to introduce two guests, Martin and Lynch. They're not a firm of solicitors. David Martin is the director of Irish Church Mission. He's also planting a church in North Dublin. Kieran Lynch is pastor of Emmanuel Church, part of the Irish Church Missions. And it's a joy. I've known these brothers for probably more years than any of us care to remember, but brothers, you're both very welcome today. Welcome, Kieran. Welcome, David. Thank you for joining me. It's great to have you on the call. How's life this morning in sunny Dublin? It's uh, it's great to be here um, and uh, a pleasure to, to be with you, Craig. And Dublin is sunny. Can you believe wow. it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hard uh, to believe. The sun, the sun has been shining um, actually pretty much for the last month. Yeah. Uh, and isn't it always the way uh, you come to a Sunday and the uh, the weather app promises rain, and you think, great, people will yeah. want to go to church. And then Sunday arrives, and the sun is splitting the trees. Splitting the trees. <laughs> I'll tell you, that, that is one of the mysteries of God's sovereign providence. And I don't know what it's like for you, but the church is no match for a sunny day in Dublin. I know, I know. Well, we call it tapsaf weather in Glasgow, but we probably don't need to go into that in any particular detail. We uh, were full, David. Moment. Maybe it's just your problem. <laughs> Hi, Craig. Great to hear you, Kieran. How how's the family? What's going on there? How's <laughs> Esther and and uh, the kids? Oh, we're doing okay. Um, yeah, uh, Esther recently lost her her dad, so yeah. that's been a challenging, uh, traumatizing, sad experience. But he had great confidence in Christ. Yeah, all and uh, devoted to him and. His remaining days were full of the scriptures and full of that gospel hope. So we don't Glorious. grieve as those who have no hope. But yeah, we're in a we're in a tough spot in that yes. way as a family. But we're yeah we're glad of the the confidence Christ gives, and we look forward to the new creation. Yeah, the comfort of the gospel, without a doubt. And how you've got? Tell us about your children. We've got uh, three children. Finn has just turned 13 Hmm. recently and Jonah is nine and Maeve is seven and wonderful yeah so we've three children and one snake our snake is three and what's the serpent's name (laughs) (laughs) the serpent he's called Calvin Luther oh Calvin Luther Lynch that's really turned the tables there. <laughs> you guys do nothing by halves. Now, if you're just listening at the early moments of this podcast, you know this is going to be something. Anybody who has a serpent called Calvin, Calvin Luther is worth listening to. What's your uh, serpent called, uh, David? Do you have one? Uh, we, we've we got a dog called Maggie. Oh, fantastic. How about that? Uh, and a cat. <clears throat> um which which I tried to kill once, <laughs> as, as you do, as, as you do, because uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of the thing when it came into the house. So I ran over it in the car, but it survived. Um, I don't know whether cats do have nine lives. Who knows? But anyway, this. And one. if there are any animal lovers uh, <laughs> listening today, should we be at all concerned about that? <laughs> uh, no. Well, I mean, it's still with us, and uh, and um, yeah, it keeps turning up. Um, in addition to that, uh, married to Honor, uh, my high school sweetheart, yep. and um, we have four kids: uh, Caleb who's 13, Abigail, who's 11, Dan, uh, Clara, who's nine, and Daniel, who's six. Wonderful. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, it's great to have you, and I hope that the the snake and the dog and the cat are uh, out of <laughs> the way, at least for and uh, along with our dog, uh, for the time being. Now, now I'm talking to you, obviously in Dublin, but neither of you is actually uh, a Dubliner originally. David, you're not even from the Republic, is that right? Where, where were you brought up? That's right. I I grew up actually probably closer to to you, Craig. I grew up in a a little seaside village called Ballywalter, which is only 20 miles across the uh, Irish Sea from Scotland. The beautiful Um, Ars Peninsula. The Ars Peninsula. Yes. Yes. I keep on telling people it's the centre of the universe, but they don't believe me. It is glorious. (laughs) So grew up there um, and had a a wonderful, very um, uh, sheltered childhood should we say, growing up in a little seaside village. Yeah. Um, but that's actually where where the Lord got his hands on me. Amazing. Uh, was through students who came down to do what's called SISM. It's like a seaside beach mission type thing for two weeks every year. And because nothing happened in Ballywalter, you know, we, <laughs> we looked forward to it from one year to the next. Uh, wow. But there was just something different about these guys. Um, and all they did was was open the, the Bible and teach us about Jesus. Wow, that is glorious. Um, and I've said to my own children, I could take you to the very spot in Ballywalter Main Street where I think the Lord lifted the burden of sin off my shoulders. Isn't that amazing? Um, so uh, that so it was so wonderful, yeah. A wonderful sheltered upbringing, but, uh, but the Lord got his hands on me in the beach. Hmm. And on this strange year, early part of the summer, who knows who's preparing to go and give some time to do some uh, summer missions, some beach missions. Um I ought to be hugely encouraged to hear that. It, Bally Walter, it just sounds so idyllic, doesn't it? It's just, it just such a lovely sounding name. And uh, that was obviously, a, a, as you said, a gentle introduction to life um, uh, there in Northern Ireland. Kieran, at least you had the decency to be born in the South. Where where was yeah. that? <laughs> well, um, I I grew up in County Meath, which is uh, the bordering county north of County Dublin. Yeah. But uh, us Meath people are very particular about the fact that it's Meath and it's not Dublin. And I grew up in a little village called Ratoth. It was a very rural setting, very stereotypically rural. And they used to say that the best thing about Ratoth was the road out of it. Oh. So it was quite a <laughs> quite a nondescript place. Um, few pubs, post office, couple of butchers, huge Catholic church building, all of that crack. Um, so, yeah, that was that was my context and very different to what it's like there now. It's become a lot more developed, but uh, very much a, a rural kind of village set up. A rural idyll in the south of Ireland, just north of Dublin. It sounds absolutely beautiful. You see, there you've gone. You've gone and said it again. You've referenced Dublin. When I'm talking oh. about me, you see, that's the thing. That's what upsets us so much, you should see. We, should we start again? <laughs> Dublin is to the south of Meath from now on. We'll, redef- we'll redefine Dublin. Now, we've heard, we've heard from David about that uh, group of students who came and did a beach mission. Yeah. From what I understand, Kieran, it's unlikely that you'd hear the gospel at a beach mission <laughs> since you hate the beach. Is that right? <laughs> That's true. I really don't like being anywhere near the beach or water. Yes, this is a well-known reality. <laughs> is it the sand or, or is it the uh, the sound or the what is it? Um, what I'm happy. I, I'm quite happy to be looking at water far away, 
Um, I don't like being wet and cold and I hate Mm. sand. I hate sand getting in things, getting in my shoes, Mm. in the car, finding it on your worktop under your mug. I hate that. But I'm surrounded by beachy people. So David here is a beach bum and my wife loves going to the sea swim. So I'm very much the minority, but I'm fine with that. I'm good with that. I'll look at it from afar. You can you can cope with that. David, David, you're a sea swimmer. Is that right? You've been forced into it? Yeah, forced is probably the right the right word to use. <laughs> um I looked to the future and I thought, okay, the four kids are gonna grow up, they're gonna leave, leave home. And uh, I thought, um, what what are my wife and I gonna do? Now she's been sea swimming since she could walk. Wow. And I thought, uh, we're not gonna play golf. Um, that's definitely not gonna happen. Um <laughs> Uh, so I better get ready now. So I, I've decided to take the plunge. Literally. Just so that I'm ready for when that, that time comes, that we'll oh, actually God. be able to go swimming together and, uh, yeah, uh, enjoy enjoy those those lovely beach moments that Kieran so hates. <laughs> Absolutely. So how far are you swimming? I mean, how, I mean how, or rather, how long are you in the water? In a, on, when you uh, go well, now, uh, <laughs> we... <laughs> We're compelled to tell the truth here, aren't we? Oh, uh, I would say of. mine's more of a more of a splash, yeah. Uh, at the moment, so uh, you know, the, are you the, in above the ankles? I mean, the, that's. <laughs> <laughs> I I do I do get in above the ankles. Yes, yeah. I am floating. I'm actually floating. That is heroic. Yeah, it, it is maybe to do with the quality of the water, but it's it's marvelous to hear that. And you know, the other the strangest thing happened the other day because. Um, we forgot to turn the heating on for the hot water, so there's only cold water. Um, and uh, I don't know, maybe you do this every morning, Craig. Maybe you jump in I and have it. one of those famous Scottish showers. No. But uh, it was no problem because, you know, the old body's used to the shock of the cold water now. I, I highly there you recommend go. it. There you go. That's given us something to think about, something to stimulate body and soul and mind. Um Kieran, it was lovely to hear David talking there about he could remember the very spot in Ballywalter Main Street when the Lord lifted the burden of his sin. Didn't happen to you at Beach Mission. Tell us how the Lord drew you to him. Yeah, that the it's fascinating really looking back on how it happened. As I mentioned, I grew up in, in quite a rural, nondescript context. Um I grew up with my my grandmother actually. There was just my mother and I and um, I, I grew up there and in what was quite a quite a traditional, I suppose, Catholic setting, but you weren't thinking about being Catholic. That was like thinking about yeah. breathing or something. You weren't aware Just of natural. that as, yeah. yeah, but that was our context. So we were very much taught to believe in and respect God, but I didn't know much about him. I'd never read the Bible for myself or anything, but my aunt had moved to Killarney in County Kerry when she got married, which was before I was born, and came in contact with Christians there. And she came to faith. And because Killarney is so beautiful and we had family there, we all would have gone down for the for summer holidays. And oh. her influence trickled through the rest of the family. And so there we there were Bibles in the house. We could see there's something different about them. And I have early memories of going along to what would have been basically some form of church plant and finding it all really quite intriguing and inviting and weird at the same time. Then another one of my aunts 
became a Christian. And really, it was like a mini revival time when I look back on it. Mm. She became a Christian and her husband, and they were living in Meath. So it was much more proximate. And I already had the experience of what I had seen and heard and been intrigued by in Killarney. And when they became Christians, two things happened. One, it was completely explosive within the family. So for my granny and grandfather, it was like we'd been infiltrated by a cult. Wow. And they really were very hurt and thought that they these... Americans were coming in because there were some American people, not exclusively, and basically dividing families and introducing a cult and taking us away from the true faith and things like that. So it was very explosive, a lot of a lot of hurt. And how old were you at this time? I was probably probably around ten at that time or thereabouts. But I I at the same time I had this powerful desire to to know more, to find out what the Bible was about. And when they were saying they were doing Bible studies, I wanted to come along and and see for myself. And I remember my aunt putting me in the car and telling me to kind of duck down below the window so my granny granny wouldn't see me being driven off to this (laughs) cult, you know. And uh, But there was no other reference points. You had what what was accepted and usual and the norm which was Catholicism, though you weren't aware of any of those realities. And then you had other and dangerous and cult, and that was it. It was the only references you had. And so right from when I was exposed then to, to reading the Bible for myself and being with others who were reading it, I became really compelled that, that Jesus was Lord, that I needed to repent and believe the gospel and follow him, no matter how obscure or weird or odd or difficult that could prove to be. And I was utterly compelled by the Spirit to do so. And I have a distinct experience of the work of the Spirit in my life at that time. And I think it was maybe when I was around 14, I don't remember exactly when I came to faith on Lake David, but wonderfully, you don't need to remember the day you were born to know you're alive. That's right. And I, the work of the Spirit was more of a smoldering kind of thing in my life. But I have a very distinct memory of being in one of those gatherings and there was a man preaching. I don't remember anything he said at the time. But what I do remember is I was completely convinced that this was the truth. This was what I needed to give my life to. And secondly, that's what I want to do. That's what I need to do. That's what I have to do. I need to teach the Bible. I need to tell people in Ireland what I have come to understand. And I was only about 14 at that time. That is thrilling to hear. Mm. I love it when, um, you know, it does happen so often when people uh, are so awakened by the power of the Holy Spirit and they know God is speaking through his word. That the, the next bit, as the Americans say, is a no-brainer. You've got to, you've got to get this word and go to others with this word. And that that was that's just what I'm hearing you saying this morning about... Um, the impact of that on your life at that point that it wasn't just it was a personal salvation it was a knowledge of the Lord Jesus and an immediate sense of urgency that you don't keep this to yourself this is something that has to be shared thrilling thrilling to hear that David you obviously you were talking about the schism camp being you know the kind of highlight 
of the year in Ballywalter. But was there a was there a traditional church background as well going on for for that early part of your life? Oh yeah. Um, so uh, my mum was a regular um, at the local Church of Ireland, the Anglican Church in Ballywalter, and we always went along to that. Um, and uh, you know, uh, perhaps unlike Karen's experience, the Bible was always. Um, encouraged I was always encouraged to engage with the Bible and, and to read it um, by my mum and my dad who's who's got no interest in it whatsoever um, and still uh, you know he he checks in now and again but uh, he never stood in the way of it hmm. so there was no there was no mm-hmm. hard resistance yeah. almost polar opposite to what we've just heard Kieran say and then in in Ballywalter uh, as in most parts of Northern Ireland uh, you didn't only have one option to go to in terms of a uh, a, um, a a Protestant church rather than the Catholic yeah. church. Uh, there were there were multiple churches that you could go to Presbyterian mm. brethren. Um, so it was actually a, an old brethren and granny called Mrs Gilmore who took me under her wing after after the guys from the Beach Mission left, and she really made sure that the the seed was firmly um, firmly planted. Wow. Uh, uh, she was, I can just remember her war, warbling. She stood at the front of the church and there was no music because it was a brethren setting. Yeah. Um, but I remember her singing and uh, her vibrato. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, in but, the Gospel uh, Hall in Ballywalter. In the Gospel Hall in Ballywalter. And, you know, here's here's an encouragement that, you know, sometimes we think that uh, older people have nothing to say to young younger ones. Yeah. She really loved us. And she taught us the Bible, um, and uh, uh, she was good fun. But we exactly. knew that she loved us, and we knew that she loved the Lord, mm-hmm. and that was a huge example. Um, so really thankful for for her ministry. Uh, and then there were actually Baptists as well involved. Um, when I went to high school, there was a, a Baptist church uh, just down the the road um, called Malisle Baptist Church. Yeah. And again, I met some wonderful. Um, mature Christian believers there who again poured themselves out every Friday night. Um, they poured themselves out for, for a bunch of young lads like myself. That's awesome. Uh, and made sure that we, we, we understood what God had done through us, uh, done for us through his son. Um, and, uh, you know, these were, these were guys working ordinary jobs, uh, but really committed to seeing the next generation raised up. And uh, that was, that was instrumental again. Amazing. Yeah. Kieran, thinking about the uh those early years of life and the student years. Now, I know that you have combined studies in psychology, theology, and criminology, which I think is ideal for training for being a pastor. Uh, tell, <laughs> t- tell us a, tell us a little bit about your student years. How did you how did you do all that? What order did you do it in? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, um, I did a psychology degree in Queens. University in Belfast, yeah. and I, um, I still had that conviction that I wanted to be involved in Bible teaching and ministry. I guess I just didn't have a particular trajectory in mind, and I figured I would do a degree first. And I always had an interest in in that kind of thing, and it seemed to fit. Uh, it seemed to be the best option I could come up with. To be honest, yeah. when I got to that point, 
And uh, I, I kind of had some romantic notions of pursuing a profession in that area. So I fell into a postgraduate in criminology and criminal justice, the only way I could describe it. It was uh, a boring and disastrous year, uh, <laughs> let me say. So at the end of that time, um, I really was wanting to to find out how to move forward in, in terms of uh, ministry things and... So after the postgraduate, I had been involved in Christian Union things during my time mm-hmm. in Queens and knew of IFES Ireland as it was then, International Fellowship of Evangelical Students Ireland. It's now Christian Unions Ireland. Yep. And I did a year with them called their Relay Program. And that was my first real introduction to being involved in ministry in a kind yeah. of training and full-time capacity and yeah that that set me out on give me a f- sort of firmer direction to to where I am now so you went from there to IFES uh and then you went to Cornhill London is that right yeah that's right so I was involved in a great church in Northern Ireland at the time Windsor Baptist Church yeah. and they gave me opportunities to dip my toe into things and at the end of my year on relay, they say, "Well, look, you should you should get preaching and give it a go." And they threw me in the deep end and said, "Preach whatever you like." And so I took on the Book of Jonah, the first thing I ever preached. That's I where my that. son, middle son's name comes from. And at the end of that time, they said, "Look, we think you should invest in this a little bit more." And so I went to take on the Cornhill course in London in 99-2000 and love that. That was just a transformative experience, one of the most worthwhile things. So that was one year intensive at Cornhill, is that right? Yes, we. I, I did it in whatever nine months it was at the time, yeah. Fabulous days. So Dick Lucas was still at the helm and David Jackman and so on? David Jackman was. Dick Lucas dipped in occasionally yeah. and then... Uh, yeah, David Jackman was the director at that time. And the thing that stood out to me most profoundly over that year was just the, the power and the authority of the of the scriptures and the the vigor in which they apply to the human heart was just a profound experience. Um, and those two years, both in Relay and in Cornhill, introduced me to, to material I'd never I'd never come across, you know, started reading new authors and different materials that really just captured my imagination and fueled that desire. So they were really formative those those two years, yeah. And then back to Belfast for Belfast Bible College, is that right? Or uh, not at first. So I came back all fired up from London and thought that uh, all of the churches in Ireland would be coming clamoring at my door for all of my wonderful gifting and skill because I was still very young and <laughs> you know disillusionment had yet set in <laughs> so I, I was expecting I was expecting to be half expecting to be met by uh, legions of potential employers at the airport yes. but of course that 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 didn't happen didn't happen at all there weren't really opportunities and so I ended up going back to working in landscaping which I had done right through my life as a kind of a, just to take in some some money here and there in between things. And there wasn't really anything happening. And I, I then went to work actually with the YMCA doing youth work. I did that 
did that for three years. And then myself and Esther, we, we got engaged and got married. And I then said, look, you know, I really want to get to create a, some kind of way forward on this desire to be involved in ministry full time. And so we didn't have an option, but though we'd just gotten married and, and just taken on a mortgage, you said, well, look, I'm just going to stop working then. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. It's great, great advice, isn't it? And I'm going to stop working. And I went at that point to Belfast Bible College. So that was two years. And then at the end of that time, that's when I stepped into my first full-time ministry position, which was in an Anglican church, which is my first exposure to that world. But it was in Dundonald and they advertised a Bible teacher. So you didn't need to be in that ecosystem. And that's when I started out. So that I was, uh, I started that when I was 29. So amazing. Yeah. So Kieran's student life took him from County Meath uh, notice I didn't say Dublin. Took him from County Meath uh, amen, to amen. Belfast and then to London. But David, your student years brought you first to Dublin. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tell um, us about that. Well, it was the only university that my mum actually knew about because that's where all the Church of Ireland ministers came from. So when I decided that I wasn't going to work with my hands but with my head, she said, well, you should try and go to Dublin. So that's uh, that's what took me there. Uh, can I just back up a wee minute and and pick up on Kieran's uh, Kieran's path from psychology, criminology to theology? It sounds those it sounds as though he's just actually uh, crafting the perfect way not to get caught. <laughs> <laughs> well, it served me well. So well, this is this has got dark very suddenly. <laughs> We're sitting in the same room here. I'm getting a bit nervous. <laughs> so you think in 20 years we might be looking back and saying we should have spotted that. <laughs> oh, one of my favourite essays was about how you can prove somebody killed somebody in their sleep or not. <laughs> You're the guy to know. Huh? Whoops. <laughs> uh, but I can remarkable. actually, in all seriousness, I can appreciate just the way the Lord's uh, leading in Kieran's life has, has brought an incredible um, incisiveness to his preaching. Yes. I've sat under his preaching um, for a number of years now and uh, his ability to actually work the gospel into the character of of our hearts is just exceptional. Um, But... uh, Well, that's something we need to to talk more about. Yeah, Mm. definitely. Um, uh, So, yeah, sorry, uh, ended up in Dublin and... uh, And what did you study? uh, Well, I came into Dublin... um, I was actually going to act, I was going to study the flute, so I was a musician, um, and wow. I thought I was going to end up in some um, uh, some military, uh, like the Marines band or something like that. Uh, but I made a mistake in filling out my uh, CAO form, um, which is kind of the UCAS system for uh, getting into colleges in in Ireland, and ended up then studying theology instead. So you literally made a mistake. Yeah, it was a slip of a pen. Uh, and so I remember you wrote, arriving. You arriving, went to write flute, and it came out theology. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, and I remember arriving, and the president of the Christian Union at the time. So I sought out the Christian Union, and it was uh, it was quite a big Christian Union, and the president was was a great guy, um, a guy called Victor Who, who was studying 
medicine. So he's out there as, as Doctor Who somewhere <laughs> in this world. Uh, but anyway, he said to me, David, you're, you're a Christian. And I said, that's right. And he said, you're studying theology. And I went, that's, that's right. And he said, two things are going to happen to you. He says, one is you're, you're going to either lose your faith uh, because it's just going to tear tear your faith yeah. apart, or you'll leave before you finish. Hmm. Those were the two options put before me. Wow. So uh, so I survived and managed to make it through the four years, which is testimony to the fact I think that simply ignorance is bliss. <laughs> <'Cause>, Remarkable, <laughs> because it was a very liberal, aggressively liberal uh, mm. theological mm-hmm. uh, experience. Um, and uh, similar to Kieran, then I, I actually ended up in London the year after that um, uh, to do Cornhill. So, and, so let me just clarify. So, Kieran was pursuing opportunities for gospel work. You were doing, you is that right? You weren't doing that. You were doing. You wanted to study something, ended up studying theology, but not initially with any great purpose in mind. Is that right, or was there more to it than that? Well, um, maybe I, uh, yeah, um, I had something else going on in the background. Uh, yeah, I did. Um, I did A level religious studies, and that that was of an interest. I didn't actually really know that I could study other things in university, so theology was was in the orbit. Um, yes. So it wasn't a, a a drastic slip of the pen. Um, but were three, you think were you thinking of were you thinking of some kind of gospel ministry? Were you thinking this would lead to something? Uh, initially, probably not. I was doing a a, a a double degree with English literature and theology, so I was just, I suppose, I was just keeping my options open. But as I went through college, um, I think that conviction to to move into uh, ministry grew and grew, um, and particularly, I think, as as I became aware more and more of just the great need that there was uh, all around. Um, University is is obviously a time when people are experimenting, and there was plenty of need in my friends in terms of figuring out what life was about. And I'm not saying that I had it all figured out, but but um, there was really uh, for many of them very little um, uh, direction. They really were were trying out all sorts of lifestyles. Um, so it was as I saw that need, and as I wrestled with my lecturers and, and their theological arguments, um, I think uh, it became clearer that this was the direction I was to take. Um, so it wasn't that it, there was there was encouragement um, from from lecturers to take this seriously. There was yeah. every, every discouragement to set it aside. So um, I think that actually just maybe brings out my stubbornness. I thought, well, no, actually, yeah. I think there's another way of looking at these things. Um, and then moving to London to do Cornhill uh, was uh, was a great step uh, yeah. to to really confirm that. That would be a warm shower after a cold bath, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> to pick up the earlier metaphor, I'm sure that would have been just like night and day coming. Well, look, into... it was it was almost like being born again again. Yeah, I too had the great joy and privilege of studying under David Jackman, um, and uh, it was it was night and day uh, and I think I learned more about um, theology and the Bible in in those short nine months than I did in four years of a, an academic theological degree um, and really it really confirmed uh, I suppose what is foundational for us all is that God God speaks through his word his voice can 
can still be heard today as you open Amen. the Bible and have it faithfully taught. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think going into to Cornhill, I, I certainly knew the God of the Bible, um, but uh, just learned so much more about the fullness of his character um, going through it. And that, uh, that really grounds you for a lifetime of ministry. Uh, we thank the Lord for the work mm. of, of Cornhill. Mm. Uh, great to hear that. Mm. Um, so we're talking now to two guys who, through a variety of means, have been well prepared um, for gospel work. And uh, Kieran, um, thinking about you this morning, tell it, tell us a little bit about the culture in Dublin and and in the Republic of Ireland with regards to the gospel. I mean, how are things these days? Yeah, I was thinking about that very question and there's a number of things going on in our culture. I think in general, there's been a big drive towards secularism. So the pendulum is very much swinging towards getting rid of any kind of religious or church-related reference to our society. So that's very aggressive and has been going on for quite some time in our culture, which is a real reversal of oh, yeah. where the country used to be, even you know, looking back at my own experience, it's so radically different. Then there's also there's also an apathy. So there's a sense in which a lot of people just think anything like that is completely irrelevant. So why would you even think about it? And then there is what I would describe as an inoculation. So for many people here, if they do have kind of religious ties, that does the job should you need it. And therefore yeah. anything like turning to Jesus or, or seeing any need for radical change in your life is just not relevant. And now post-pandemic, I think for some, there's a sense in which they are asking questions that they wouldn't have before. So there is opportunity within that. And yeah, yeah, that that's a little bit of a broad brushstroke answer, I think. So when I think of your early days in County Meath and the just the irrefutable centrality of the Catholic Church, as you said, unthinkingly, you, you didn't have to figure it out. It just was... The ancient monolith right there in your in your life and in your front room, and now that's gone. Is that right? That's just that's just missing in action. Yeah, yeah. It it's completely eroded. Yeah, and there now is the desire to eviscerate the culture of every vestige of religious reference, huh. and it just comes up constantly. Radio, TV, papers. All the time, it's it's there as an agenda. So it's a more bitingly secular culture than other parts of the UK, probably. Oh, sorry, when I say other parts of the UK, other parts of the island of of um, Great Britain and Ireland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Now, there is opportunity in there as yeah. well. This is a bit more like the secular context of New Testament, for example. But it is a unique phase in our history. Yes. Amazing. And so you're not just seen as irrelevant, you're seen as threatening uh, in a, and you need to be shut down. So you, you're a, a poison in society. And I've reflected on this recently just um, 
in interaction with some people, because for those who are indifferent and inoculized, there's this idea that, well, if there is a heaven, well, we're all going to go there anyway. And so when we're coming with what we describe as good news, people just yes. hear that as bad news. Of course. And you have this sense of just incomprehension as to why anything you would be saying is in any way welcoming. So obviously it depends person by person, but that's been some of my experience. Yeah, it's a very, it's a fascinating but complex environment to be um, living for the gospel and, and sharing the gospel. David, as you lead ICM, uh, any comment on that? What's your perspective on the, the condition of the soil as we speak about in, in Ireland in general? Yeah, no, I think Karen's right. The, there's a social commentator, uh, David Quinn, who, who said, um, interestingly, the Irish have never done anything by halves. Um, so once it was religion, and at one point, you know, Ireland had per capita the highest church attending, um, was one of the highest church attending nations in the world. Uh, but uh, but we gave that up and replaced it with um, materialism, of course, with the Celtic tiger and that, you know, we made headline yes. news um, again around the world. Uh, so we went hammer and tongs at, uh, at trying to get rich and all of that, of course, blew up. Um, but now he says we're doing social progressivism. Mm. Um, and so Ireland uh, takes great pride in the fact that it was one of the, it was the first country in the world to legalise same-sex marriage. Yeah. Um, by vote. Which would have been unthinkable. Wouldn't it? I mean, it would have been unthinkable two or three decades ago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Now, interestingly, David Quinn has said, um, look at how things have ended for us because we've had no moderation. Yeah. So um, the uh, chasing after religion uh, didn't really go very well for, for the country. Um, chasing after materialism didn't end well either. He, his his point is to say, well, where's this going to lead us as we, yes. as we blindly pursue progressive liberal liberalism as well. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean the context is is hard. Um, it's very difficult and and aggressively so in, mm. in many parts. Mm. Um, and that puts a huge onus, I think, in terms of Christian witness upon what we know uh, we should hold on to that the truth actually is liberating. Um, so we can't give up on that. Mm. Uh, but equally so, um, what people are actually looking for is is to know that they're loved. Yeah. Um, and I think that puts a huge uh, onus on the church and uh, any Christian to be uh, the person or the, the community in any part of society that is known for, for being full of integrity um, and uh, deep in its compassion. Mm, amazing. Uh, so we're not, you know, the, the context, whilst I, I do think it is particularly um, heightened in terms of its desire to rid society of religion, uh, nonetheless pushes us back to what we've always known. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think we find ourselves in Ireland having to reinvent the wheel. Mm. I think actually in Ireland we're just being called to be who it is that God has, has made us to be, uh, his sons and daughters who are saved by grace and um, who humbly hold forth the truth. Uh, even though, as Kieran has rightly said, you know, in, in doing so, we will very often be misinterpreted uh, as as uh, speaking bad news. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It is fascinating. You know, Kieran 
coming to faith in County Meath uh, these years ago was seen as part of a dangerous group that were there to do harm to the status quo. Now, now, now the Catholic Church is is in decline, significant decline, really seen as an irrelevance, but still the gospel churches are seen as a dangerous element. I mean, it's it's this whole thing about us getting used to being the bad guys. Mm. So what you're talking about, really interesting to hear the, the basis there, uh, David, of um, a, a mission culture mm. in in that context. Can mm. you say a little more about that? What, what do we mean by, what does it mean to have a mission culture being developed in the Republic of Ireland today? That's a really, really good question, and uh, I'm not sure I'm the best person poised to, to answer it truthfully because I think there are many pastors, church leaders, who have been slogging away at this for many, many years, and um, uh, they probably will say that it, it it is very much committed to being faithful um, during the hard times, uh, finding encouragement uh, in the small things, um, and and praying to God that He would would move. Honestly, I mean, uh, you know, I think the the idea that any course or uh, any set of events, yes, might actually <laughs> even uh, open up a chink in the armor. Um, I don't really think that that's that's the case in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't use courses, and, and we do. We we love Christianity Explored. Um, you know, there's uh, Discipleship Explored. We've we've run courses, and they have got a little bit of traction, but nowhere yeah. near the traction that you might expect in other parts of uh, of the UK yes. and even Northern yes. Ireland. Uh, so it really does come, Craig. Look, it really does come down to people pray prayerfully. Uh, seeking to walk in the power of the Spirit and then taking opportunities uh, and making opportunities when they arise in their personal day-to-day lives. Um, I think there's a great suspicion amongst many people whenever you say that you are religious or or you're you're a Christian, there's a great suspicion that, Mm. um, you you know, you you have an agenda. Yeah, that sure. the, the, uh, The antennae for that, I think, is... Um, very sensitive in Ireland. And so what it takes is, is uh, I think, prayerfully, depending on the power of the Spirit, uh, uh, being courageous in taking those personal opportunities. But perhaps most importantly is playing the long game mm, yeah, and not expecting results tomorrow mm. simply because you told somebody the gospel today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you've really got to to think about the long-term trajectory of a person's life, mm. um, and that—that's—that's uh, that's difficult because we all want to see results. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think the Lord, whilst whilst it may appear as a, as though His hand of judgment is heavy upon this nation, uh, He is a, a God of mercy, um, and His mercy, well, perhaps sometimes just actually is uh, is going to come only after a long time. Uh, so it's being faithful and, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's digging it digging in for the long term. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Kieran, as you as you pastor the church there at, at Emmanuel in Dublin, mm-hmm. um, how, I, I like to ask this question because it is, 
it gets really gets to the heart for for guys like us in the trenches trying to do this work. How do you feel the church family have embraced this idea of you of you all having a part in the mission culture? I mean, how 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 would you rate that? What are the challenges? Well, one of our challenges in Emmanuel is that our people change so much. So one of the ways I've described it is it's like it's like trying to pass through the prayer room in an airport, <laughs> except some of the people don't fly out. You know, but most <laughs> <laughs> so transience is incredibly difficult in yeah. terms of developing a culture of any kind, not least in in mission. And so one of the things that we've we've done, I suppose, more in a demonstrable way is is emphasizing church planting. So we we sent off our evening core group seven odd years ago and we planted City Church Dublin from there. Most recently, we've sent out David and another church family who in cooperation with other churches have begun to establish Christchurch North Dublin. We've used to have the Iranian people meeting with us. They have now separated to do their own ministry as well. So it's very much in your face in Emmanuel because we're all the time shrinking to grow. And that has been very much the accent of our missional intentionality. But in the in terms of trying to get that into the bloodstream of people in their every day, that's something that we now, I think, more than ever are going to need to return to because with all of the movement out in order to facilitate and multiply growth elsewhere, we're now having to look at that again in a fresh way as we function, not unlike a plant ourselves at the moment. So yeah. that's that's a pertinent question for us going forward. And like David has mentioned, we've done Christianity Explored and that has been good, but it doesn't develop that culture as a whole. And that is a question for us very much going forward again, especially post-pandemic. And I think one of the key ways to begin to do that will be around hospitality once we can get back to it. That's interesting. There, we're hearing so much about that these days, um, just about the need. You know, people have not had much companionship, fellowship for a while, and that in itself was fine when they were all busy and it was there and they could have had it. But now that there's been a deprivation of it, there's a bit of a longing to reconnect, and it does seem to be amazing, an amazing opportunity for believers to open their home and and. I guess at that point we all feel well. I'll do that when we're organised for it. I'll do that when we're in, when we got the new extension built, or when we've got the downstairs toilet, or when we get the carpet cleaned or something. But <laughs> actually, the need the need is much more serious than that, isn't it? We we need to strike now and open our homes, our, our hearts now to people. Mm-hmm. Um, David, we heard there about. I, I, incidentally, Kieran, I love that phrase: shrinking to grow. I mean, there's something to conjure with that you keep giving away your best people, mm. that you keep sending them out to, to plant. David, you were um, obviously heading up the mission, but sent out um, from Emmanuel, Christchurch, North Dublin. How's the how's it going? What's the story? How mature is that plant, and and what are you finding there? It's been a great encouragement. Um, I have to say, it's wonderful to be able to say that as a church plant. 
um, each time we now meet in person. Uh, in Ireland, I think we had one of the most stringent lockdown measures uh, against public worship across Europe, actually, by the way. So um, it's really only in the last six weeks that we've been allowed to to meet in person. Um, so Christchurch North Dublin was launched during lockdown um, and uh, and survived, whatever it was, survived <laughs> uh, online uh, up until yeah. six weeks ago when we were able to gather in person. And it's wonderful to be able to say now, <laughs> you know, as you meet each week, oh, yeah, we've, we've hit capacity. We're we're at the capacity, yeah. uh, and somebody would say, "Well, what's your capacity?" You say, "Oh, well, uh, uh, sixteen people. That's all we yeah. can fit into the room." Sure, <laughs> mm-hmm. sure. Capacity, <laughs> uh, capacity is a church plant. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know where we're at. We're rejoicing in the fact that we're still standing, um, and I think picking up on what Kieran has just said, uh, we really need to get to know one another now, uh, yeah. because Zoom. Uh, well, you could make do with it, but it's not it's not the ideal. No. So we really need to get to know one another. Um, but in doing that, you're always wanting to try and set the the culture as as one of evangelism. Um, and so it's a great opportunity as a as a new church plant during during these strange days to try and embed that into the the life of the local church. Um, and the guys who are there, we're we're in many ways, because of um, people like Kieron uh, and Emmanuel Church, people like Mark Smith in City Church Dublin, people like Alistair Dunlop in Hoth Presbyterian, we're in many ways resource rich as a little church plant, certainly in Ireland, um, uh, even though there are only 16, uh, 18, 18 of us. Um, in comparison to other little churches, you know, I think we are quite resource rich. So we have much to be thankful for. Um, and uh, and looking forward to the new season when it might be that we can actually begin to invite people <laughs> to yeah. come along to church. Um, it's just been a real, I don't know, I'm sure you have the same, Craig and, and Kieran too, but it's just been a real bizarre head-melting season to try and figure out uh, yeah. how to do evangelism um, and how to how to pastor, yeah. how to grow a church. We, yeah. we don't really fully yet know what's his. No. Um, as we emerge out of this, but it's yeah. great that we are now talking about hospitality and getting to know people and 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 sharing life. What's the what's the state of the gospel partnership in 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 Dublin City? I think it's quite good, Craig. I think that in Dublin there's been because there's so few of us relatively. There's a sense in which people want to cooperate yeah. and want to come together, and there's not that much tribalism in a good way, is there, mm-hmm. David? You yeah. know, there's a sense in which people. When, when you have a passion for Christ, that that is something to build on. And so there's there's yeah. been the, the Dublin Gospel Partnership, for example. There's been and continues to be other groupings for people to come together city to city and stuff with 829 and so on. So there, I think that that is one of the healthier things in Dublin, uh, that there is a good level of crossover uh, in the churches now, of course, there are there are subcultures within that where perhaps they have they would know people and interact with people that others might not, and that's always the case. Sure. But I don't think there's anything sinister in that. I think that there is a, a generosity and a willingness in that setting in Dublin that uh, I think has has always been there because things are so small. Mm. It's great to hear that. Um, David, 
listening to you both talking this morning, um, the, these these are days that that require strength and stability and so on. Maybe say a word about um, those who have provided for you stimulus and encouragement, who have been a blessing and an influence on in your life and ministry over the years. Who who would you who would you list? Um, you know, we could we could easily list the the way in which the Lord has used and been so kind to us in in people who who we all recognise. Uh, yes, uh, the Tim Kellers of this world, the, the Dick Lucases of this world, um, and uh, and of course we can go to those men and, and be very thankful for God uh, to God for them. Um, yet there are others who perhaps may may not feature so highly and one particular man in in my own life is a is a dear friend that we both know Craig a man called Tom Oates yes um, indeed who uh, uh, has just retired so he he planted a church called Grace Church of Greenwich 27 years ago and his last Sunday was a couple of Sundays um, just there earlier in June Uh, and uh, he has had a massive impact um on my life, uh, my father-in-law often often says that uh, uh, I'm uh, um, I'm the man I am today in ministry, uh, by and large because of the influence that Thomas had. Isn't that um, glorious? Uh, it's just such a blessing, um, and of course, uh, one of the the biggest encouragements from his ministry was the fact that he did stand firm through opposition. He was he was persecuted um, yes. in many ways by. By the Episcopal Church uh, in which he served um, in America, and uh, and found himself very much on the sharp edge of uh, of that, and um, yet he he managed, by God's grace, I think he would say, to continue um, not only yeah. as a Christian but in ministry. Um, he's nothing, of course, without his wife Susie, uh, Susie. And, and their family. The remarkable um, Susie, absolutely. <laughs> Um, and they were going through that. They were going through that before it was a known thing, really, mm, weren't they? I mean, they they were yeah. going through that an earlier yeah. phase, and the isolation of that must have been yeah. so tough. But as you say, such a sense in which the the Lord held on to them, and they held on to Him, and, yeah, yeah, and the fruit yeah. of that has been incredible. I remember hearing Philip Jensen. It was a rec- recording. I wasn't there. I don't even know if I was alive at the time. Um, but uh, he was uh, he was speaking at EMA. And he was warning the people in EMA of the um, the uh, the encroachment of liberalism within certainly within the Anglican spheres. Yeah. And he says, "You haven't seen anything." And he tells the story of Tom. Um, and uh, it was lovely to to hear that, having spent time with Tom, um, to see the way in which God had, as you said, uh, kept kept a hold of him. Um, but his faithfulness. To to the to the motto of Grace Church Greenwich, which is when God's word is taught carefully, uh, God's voice is heard clearly, um, has been um, foundational uh, certainly in my own life and ministry. Yeah, absolutely. Many many could say the same. The fruitfulness of it. Yeah, we do thank the Lord for Tom and Susie. Kieran, what about you? Who has the Lord used to to get the fire lit and to mm. to to keep it lit in in your life? Well, lots of people. Along the way, I'm glad to say, I mean, when I first came involved in that world, meeting other Christians, uh, a man named Ed, Ed Detweiler, who was an American over on a mission team, he wrote to me consistently and we still write to him today, some 35 years later. Wow. And he always would have been encouraging me to persevere in the faith. And that was really significant through many 
turns along the road for, for me, especially in my teenage years. And another friend, David Kelly at the time, who had an influence in, in David's life here, David next to me. And he was another very level-headed person that when I was going all over the place, just was able to sit me down and help huh. to steer me not just in terms of getting back on path with the Lord, but with my life. And he was quite significant and influential. And some of those that I had the privilege of being in churches with, so the pastor during my time in in university, David McMillan, was like a father figure. And he shepherded me, shepherded me through some really significant periods in my life also. And then there have been some you know, friendships along the way, you know, like with David here and others that continue to keep you on your on your toes. And then I think, as I mentioned earlier, when I got involved in things like Relay and Cornhill, I was introduced to stuff I'd never heard or read really. I remember my first experiences of reading and hearing Don Carson and it just nearly blew my socks off, you know. That's <laughs> the thing. It was absolutely incredible, you know. And I yeah. loved his pizzazz and his passion. <laughs> do, 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 do you see? I think I, I see. I see. Don, amen. You know, uh, those were great experiences, and and uh, just devouring all that stuff up that uh, I hadn't been exposed to, and. Some of the preaching in in the year I was in London was just profound. I mean, it really was powerful stuff. And then in later years as well, you know, when I first came to Dublin, again, a pastor of the church I attended was Ed Vaughan, another Church of Ireland. But he knew how to communicate, not just preach, which I think is something that I've continued to really be challenged by. Are you communicating though? Okay, you might be you might be saying what's there faithfully, but are you communicating? Are are you reaching people? Are you making sense? Are you grabbing people by the seat of their pants and giving them a good shake, but then giving them a hug and letting them out in their way? Yeah. <laughs> you know that's a that's an awesome picture there. Now, <laughs> now this this gives us a moment because <laughs> <laughs> no, it gives us a moment because you've talked, I think this will be the third time you referenced, Kieran, um, communication to the heart. Yeah. Getting to the heart. And sometimes in our circles, mm. we are criticized for being too cerebral. Yeah. The expository preaching just goes to the mind, doesn't touch the heart. Yeah. And yet you have you have talked repeatedly today, and David has said it of your ministry, mm. that it goes to the heart. Now, just say a word to us about that. I mean, what's the pursuit there? How do you work biblically by the power of the Spirit to be aware of that? I mean, what are, what are the things that have been helpful to you? Well, you're not working biblically by the power of the Spirit if you're preaching and not preaching to the heart. Yeah. You're not doing it. Because when you read the Scriptures, that's what it does. It, it grabs you, it lifts you up, it gives you a shake, and it and it leaves you with a hug because you're you're convicted to the reality of your sin, yet you're comforted in the finished work of Christ and yeah. you leave you leave changed. So I in recent years have become a lot more aware of of how to 
begin to communicate along those lines because uh, my wife Esther is involved in biblical counseling. Yep. And she has been studying through CCEF and the works of the like of Ed Welch and and others uh, have really helped me understand some of these realities and dynamics. Yep. And that's been very, very helpful to me because you're, you're not just saying, okay, what is the behavior you're asking? Well, what is behind that behavior? And how does yes. the gospel speak to that everyday thing? And how does it apply? And this has helped me to reflect on, coming back to your previous questions, helped me reflect on my studies in psychology and criminology in a way that's been refreshing now, even in hindsight, where some of those parts I struggle to connect, I think a better understanding of them now. I mean, do you think criminology with the yeah. fundamental issue is sin, isn't it? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and of course, I was aware of that at the time. But, you know, you become a lot more aware of how these things function as a whole. And for me, the passion I always have, and I never feel I get there, and that's maybe why it keeps striving towards it, is communication. Are you communicating? Are yeah. you communicating? And that's the thing that I find we really need to be asking ourselves. And by that you mean, is this genuinely building a bridge from from heart to heart? Yeah. Not just, I'm discharging my responsibilities. I'm teaching this passage. You're not, you're not satisfied just to do that. You're mm. prayerfully engaging in the, in the study and on the platform in a way that, that seeks to really engage. That's the point, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, th that's, it's got to really hit you first, doesn't it? And if it doesn't, it's not going to communicate. But I mean, I find sometimes when I'm preaching that that's a real tonic to me because I'm being enlivened by it. And that's a grace to me. And it's a it's a constant challenge how to how to best do that. I mean, sometimes you don't feel you've you have done that, and other times you might feel you have and actually you haven't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. it's it's that sense of it, sometimes there's this kind of fake distance where people don't they're not even aware of the fact that they're sort of entering into a third person experience with themselves yeah. and so they're listening and they're nodding and they're agreeing but then they go out the door and it's no connection and so it's trying to establish how the gospel how the reality of christ impacts your everyday and the issues you're experiencing whether that's your tendency to shout at the kids or you're you're just selfish or dissatisfied or whatever it may be and the root and the fruit stuff isn't it yeah. yeah, yeah, all that stuff's been really helpful for me in recent years. And one simple thing that I've learned to do that's been very helpful for me is to move from descriptive uh, ways of packaging a sermon into directive ways of packaging a sermon. And that's been a helpful thing to towards that end with me, I think. That that sounds amazing, Kieran. Can you unpack that for us? Yeah, one of the things that I've found very helpful, I can't remember where I first really grasped it, but the sense in which sometimes in our points, for example, or our structure for a sermon, we're describing what's in the text, but we're not being directive about what's in it. And so I I try to, if I can, just have something that is telling people what the text is asking of them, not just describing it. And so... Um, 
see if I can remember Sundays, that would be the challenge, won't it? <laughs> uh, I was preaching on Nehemiah, a uh, big chunk of Nehemiah chapters 9 and 10. And so I summarized it. I try to summarize, I try to only say one thing if I can. And on Sunday it was uh, about all the distress that's going on and people are trying to confess. And so I, I wrote, the, the tagline was, pray through your distress I can't remember the second half now. <laughs> <laughs> That's integrity. I was pray through your distress and renew your faith in God's good name. That was it. Yeah. And so I, I'm trying to, you know, you're trying to give people something that is giving them a clarity of what the text is asking of you, do. not just describing yeah. what's in there. And that's been a, a simple thing. But it's not simple to do, and I don't. I'm no, not always not. satisfied with the results. But trying to move from just describing, so you could have said, for example, um, you know, the people are in distress. The the people confess. The people renew their faith. Well, that's all about what they did. But yes. what about what I need to do? What do I need to understand? Mm. And just that's little very tweak. practical. Yeah. No, and then that, and then be married to somebody like Esther, who says to me, "Well, you know, what about getting to the heart of the thing?" <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that helps. You know, you, if you're feeling really, really brave, you'll you'll give your work to your wife on oh. a, before you get up to preach. You know, and then that's a bravery that I've never encountered. No. no, Tom. No, 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 no. Tom Oates. Tom Oates' advice to me was always, "Don't say anything about my sermon for at least 24 hours after I've that's preached." Right. That's that's more like it. <laughs> that's more like it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's. Very, very striking to hear that. Guys, sadly, we need to draw this to a close. Um, David, just tell us lastly, how is A Passion for Life going in the Republic of Ireland? Is there an awareness growing there? Or what are your hopes for A Passion for Life? Um, so I think certainly if I just start with myself, one of the, the great encouragements is that A Passion for Life is gearing us up, not for, like I said, a series of events, yeah. but for a lifetime of evangelism. Now, I don't know, uh, this is my first real exposure to, to A Passion for Life. I don't know if that's been something that has been there in past events, uh, past iterations of A uh, Passion for Life, but certainly that that is coming through loud and clear this time. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, maybe selfishly because that's exactly what what I need to hear where we're at in Ireland yeah. uh, especially thinking about uh, church plants and, and mission and stuff but I think it really needs to be um, celebrated the fact that this isn't just about six weeks of uh, of events um, that we can all encourage one another in but it's about grounding evangelism in our everyday life uh, so really excited about that um, moving out from personal experience just in terms of the way in which A Passion for Life is landing uh, in the Irish scene. Um, interestingly, at the same time as A Passion for Life was uh, getting off the ground, a similar movement was happening in Ireland as well called What's the Story? Yep. Um, and it's been real a real joy to see the ways in which uh, Passion for Life, with all of its resources and experience and skill, um, has been so generous in seeking to encourage this movement as well. Uh, so there's a rich collaboration going on at the minute uh, between What's the Story and A Passion for Life. 
and um, uh, what's the story is a lot younger uh, it's slightly behind just in terms of it's um, kind of rolling out of of um, certain resources and stuff but but we're getting there and that's encouraging um, so yeah we're we're looking forward to that and um, we're prayerful that as uh, the idea becomes uh, more clear in people's minds that they too will get excited about a lifetime of evangelism. Um, I'm really prayerful about that. I think it's it's a wonderful opportunity um, and it could not come at a better time Yeah, for us all, I think, you know, That's because true. we're all tired, we're all burnt out, we're all weary. We all really can't think beyond one Sunday from one Sunday to the next. We need a clear focus on evangelism. Um, for the for the sake of the health of our own spirituality, but for the sake of the health of the spirituality of our churches, yes, uh, wonderful opportunities uh, are there, and we need a real clear focus. And I think that's what uh, passion for life has has come uh, in God's good timing just now, uh, because it left to myself I would just want to curl up in a ball and hide in the corner of a room, um, <laughs> but we need to be speaking to people because people have really big questions at the minute. We need the vision. We need the encouragement of knowing that we're not alone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, David, Kieran, I want to thank you both very sincerely for sharing with us today, greatly helping us just to think practically about what it means to have before us uh, the cross of the Lord Jesus and a, a desire to love the culture and speak of him that others may uh, come to know him. We do thank the Lord for you. We pray his continued blessing and protection on the work of uh, Emmanuel Church and Christchurch North.